0: whether you are new to this study or whether you've been a part of this study from the beginning, the character of your heart is the dependent factor upon which the obedience to the remainder of the sermon can actually take place. There is no obedience. There is no obedience before God that earns any uh, pleasure of God apart from the life transformed, the heart transformed by faith in His Son as described in verses 3 through 10. There is an obedience, Scripture teaches us, that leads to death. There is an obedience that is a grit your teeth and do it, a legalistic approach to obedience of God that says, I'm just going to try as hard as I can to be what I should be. That is an obedience apart from faith in the finished work of Christ and in the grace that's supplied to us at the cross. That obedience will lead to a Matthew 7 conclusion. Matthew 7 conclusion is, depart from me, I never knew you. And so we must start at the beginning of this sermon constantly reminding ourselves that the heart transformation, the character transformation that we see in verses 3 through 10 is the basis upon which the remainder of Jesus' teaching is built. It is the foundation. It's the bedrock, if you will. We moved from verses 3 through 10 verse 11 and 12, which really speak of our culture's response to one who lives out a heart transformed as described in verses 3 through 10. So there are some natural things that you should expect as that transformed heart takes on flesh and lives in your life. And verses 11 and 12 describe the response of the culture around you to a life that's lived and fleshing out the transformation of the heart. It will be persecution, and you should find joy in that because your reward is great in heaven. 13 through 16, further our understanding that that changed heart, that transformed heart by faith in the finished work of Christ, not only gains a response from the culture around us to us, but it also generates an effect from our lives on the culture around us. So you have a give and a take here for the kingdom citizens, those who have been transformed, they can re- expect to to have placed upon them a certain response from their culture and they can expect and it is their intended purpose for them to have an effect on their culture as well. And so this is the twofold aspect that we see described in verses 11 through 16. The world's response to us and our effect on the world around us, a salt and a light, a preservant and a, a guide, a shining light. That is the testimony of the one who is living in the reality of the transformed heart of the kingdom. Verse 17 then turns a corner for us and Jesus now turns his focus then to what will be the demands, what will be the law of this kingdom, what will be the expectation, the standard for these kingdom citizens, these ones who have had their heart of stone replaced with a heart of flesh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel tell us, those who are part of this new covenant in Christ, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ, what will be the expectation? What will these people look like? Well, because of their transformation of heart, the the flow that continues now is a placing of expectation that is directly centered in the character of Jesus Christ himself. And so we see throughout these paragraphs, beginning in verse 17 and taking us to 20, that Christ will not, he will not abolish the law, but he has come to fulfill it. Christ himself is the culmination of everything given in our Old Testaments. Maybe you haven't read your Old Testament this way, but your Old Testament points as a whole, and as it as it is in part, it points to Jesus Christ. It points to the fulfillment. It awaits the fulfillment. Even the Sabbath, in an their interesting thought on this this week, even the Sabbath of the Old Testament was a rest, but it was a rest that anticipated a permanent rest. And Hebrews tells us that Christ is, is our rest there is no more sabbath because christ has come if that just shattered your worldview this isn't the sabbath yesterday was this is the lord's day this is sunday the first day not the seventh day we can talk about it later if we need to okay got got some deer in the headlights there on there's no more sabbath talk about that later Jesus did not come to abolish, but to fulfill, therefore, now every word that he gives, not one jot or tittle, not the least little element of what he says, will be passed away in the kingdom. Okay, that got us to where we started into these paragraphs that are, some of them are very familiar to us. Verse 21 through 26 deals with anger, and the heart of murder, Uh, we picked up right after that in verse 27, and down through verse 30, and we looked at the heart of adultery, which is lust, Jesus here placing a spirit as well as an external upon the kingdom citizen. It is not good enough to not commit physical adultery, for the heart of adultery is guilt in the kingdom. Okay? Kingdom is concerned about your heart, and this is the message that we find here in Matthew chapter 5. Right on the edge of, or right on the outer edge of this discussion about lust and adultery, Jesus puts this little section into his teaching about divorce. And really it flows from the adultery portion before it. Jesus outlines the high view that the kingdom has for marriage. We discussed that several weeks ago. Beginning of verse 33 through 37, we find the kingdom's high view of truth. Speaking the truth, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Some of these are bringing back, for those of us who have been here, this brings back those feelings of conviction. When we go back, yes, that's what we studied just several weeks ago, let our yes be yes and our no be no, and already we've seen that start to dull in our thinking. This is the demand of the kingdom. Last week we caught up in verse 38 and all the way through verse 42, and we began our study of the kingdom response to evil, the kingdom response to personal evil. And really, I believe that this section, as well as the next, outlined for us a, a viewpoint, a perspective by which we can understand the standard of biblical kingdom love. So really, I think that verse 38-42 through 42 outlined for us the first phase of what kingdom love looks like, and then it's culminated in verses 33-47 through 47, as we see the standard of love for even our enemies outlined by our Lord Jesus. So this is where we are, and I hope that's brought you back up to speed. Last week, we spent our time primarily in verse 38 and 39, and really only in the first sentence of verse 39, and today we'll conclude this paragraph, we'll finish out this section. These are the demands of the kingdom, and let me reiterate again, these are impossible for you to apply to your life apart from the transformation that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, there there was for a while, and maybe it's still out there, I don't know, but there was a very popular uh, slogan that was thrown around in Christian consumerism, which is a whole other ballgame itself. But maybe some of you wore bracelets or T-shirts or bumper stickers or whatever the case that had WWJD on them. And I did. I wore a bracelet that said that, and I I would you know, wear that and hope that I would have an opportunity to talk to somebody about why I would wear WWJD, and then Allen Iverson started wearing one, and it just kind of really kind of blurred the whole lines of, what are these all about? Okay, WWJD stands for, what would Jesus do? And it it was a thoughtful question, set aside the fact that it was propped up to make money, but it was a thoughtful question for those who would follow after Christ. Here I am going through my daily routine. I'm going through my daily life. I'm interacting with a number of circumstances. And I'm asking myself, in theory, because I have a bracelet on that has these letters, I'm asking myself, what would Christ do in this scenario? So at its root, I'm sure the motive and the thought behind that was a good one. There's a problem, though, when that becomes a generic thought in our culture, even in those who would profess faith in Christ that have no relationship with Christ. Because it gives us, at its most superficial level, an idea, a thought process, that anybody, anybody can appropriate the lifestyle of Jesus Christ and somehow be a better person for it. And in fact, the Sermon on the Mount stands as a condemnation of that kind of thinking. And you're going to see it today, I think, more, uh, more blatantly than we have seen it yet. It is impossible, it is impossible to live out the life of Christ, the worldview of Christ, the standard of the kingdom. It is impossible apart from God's grace intersecting with our lives, transforming our hearts and turning us towards himself. We're going to see that this morning. Our thought ought to be, what would Jesus think? What would Jesus feel? And then what would Jesus, because of what he thinks and believes and what he is based upon, then what does his action end up being? And that is a question that no unbeliever, no untransformed heart can ever respond rightly to. Okay? That brings us then to verses 38 and 39. And here is the religious norm. This is how we broke this up last week. We have the religious norm in verse 38 and then we have the kingdom demand outlined for us in verse 39. And if we want to set up a new outline or add a point to that, we would now have uh, the kingdom illustrations in verses 39 through 42. We have the religious norm in verse 38, and then the kingdom demand in verse 39, and then it's illustrated for us through the remainder of the paragraph. What is the religious norm? Well, the religious norm of the day was taken directly from the Old Testament, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Just the most simple, brief explanation was a law that God had set up to constrain the punishment of crime to actually being equal to the crime and a law that was set up to restrict punishment to those ordained to carry out punishment rather than personal revenge was flipped on its head by the Pharisees and by the religious system in which the Jewish people lived. And now it was being utilized as a standard by which I could revenge and and retaliate in personal offense and not be sinning. So as long as I could somehow justify my actions as being inside the bounds of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, I could respond personally in vengeance against someone who had done evil to me. This is absolutely against what we find in the Old Testament. God clearly forbid this kind of activity, and yet this had become the religious norm by which the Jews operated. And you can imagine the effects of this on their society and even in the home. This is the religious norm. This is what they've heard. This is what has been said over and over again. This has been their tradition. And now, verse 39, the king of the kingdom says, but here's what I say. Here's the standard. Here is the clear demand of the kingdom. Do not resist the one who is evil. Jesus throws up into their face a thought that is so outside their reasoning, there's no way they could have comprehended what was coming. Do not resist the one who is evil. That's the kingdom demand. And of course, that brings us to a point of confusion for some of us when we say, well, surely we must resist some evil, and you're right. And surely there are those who must avenge evil, and you're right. We are called upon by James, in James 4, 7, by Peter, in 1 Peter 2, we are called upon in both of those cases to resist the devil, to fight against sin, knowing that he is out to do evil to us at the highest level. Not only that, in Romans chapter 13, and and later in 1 Peter 2, we find that the government is established by God himself, to punish, to avenge evil, to carry out the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Military structures, civil government, civil law, all of that is established for the sake of God protecting the righteous and punishing those who are unjust. And so clearly from this text we cannot come to the conclusion that our lack of resistance is a general sweeping Refusal to fight against evil at all costs. And yet, clearly, here, before that pendulum swings too far, clearly, here we are dealing with an absolutely countercultural, extreme, radical lifestyle. While this does not deal with our personal confrontation of sin in the life of others, Matthew chapter 18 and Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 6 while this doesn't deal with the government's punishment of wicked and the military's protection of freedom, and while this does not deal with those who would serve in those capacities, who are under the ordination of God. He has ordained those roles. And while this doesn't bring us to the place of wet-noodle Christianity with a whole bunch of wimpy men, wimpy women, this does point the finger at us when it comes to personal evil done to us. And the kingdom demand is do not resist. Let me remind you of John Stott said, so the command of Jesus should not properly be used to justify either temperamental weakness or moral compromise or political anarchy or even total pacifism. Instead, what Jesus here demands of all of his followers is, is a personal attitude toward evildoers which is prompted by mercy not justice, which denounces retaliation so completely as to risk further further costly suffering which is governed never by a desire to cause them harm but always by the determination to serve their highest good. this is the message of Matthew chapter 5 verses 38 through 42. Now, before we move into these four illustrations, which we'll get to in just a matter of minutes, let me be clear about a contra application of this. What is the negative application? Because several of you brought up questions last week about this text. Let me let me speak to this, and I think we've made this somewhat clear. This command from Christ does not forbid a spiritual resisting of the devil and sin. Okay. I don't think that's rocket science. You can't use this passage to, to tell me why you've stopped battling sin. Well, Jesus said, don't resist. So I'm just going to sin away, and I'm not resisting. Okay. Clearly, you know that an interpretation that contradicts another passage of Scripture is the wrong interpretation. So it does not forbid that. Nor does it forbid ordained civil retribution or the participation in those activities. While there are conscience issues that would, would guide and direct each individual believer as to their ability to serve in a particular capacity, understand that the civil government, its military, its police force, its law system, all fall under God's ordained purposes. We have no way to get around that when we come to Romans 13 and to First Peter 2.13 and following. Okay. So there is some contra-application that has to guide us now as we move into an understanding of this paragraph as dealing most directly with our personal response to personal offense, personal evil done. And now this passage will become all the more extreme as it outlines for us these four illustrations of this kingdom demand. The obvious message of these illustrations is that the kingdom citizen is not only forbidden to personally vindicate evil done to him or her, but they are to actively love the ones who are seeking to commit evil against them. It's not only that we're forbidden from revenge. It's not just that I'm not going to retaliate. It's that I not only am not retaliating, but I am, I am pouring out affection. I am pouring out love. I am pouring out the character of my Christ from a transformed heart, in my response to these people, or this person. And this will take us where we do not want to go. This will take us to an uncomfortable place, and I'm right there in the discomfort, and I'm more so because I already know what's coming. Okay, I know what's on this page in front of me, and I know what's sitting in your lap, and it's going to be painful. So let's jump in with smiles on our face and let the Lord do his work through his word. Verse 39, after he says, I say, do not resist the one who is evil. Here are the illustrations. Illustration number one, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Illustration number two, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, like all those tunics I see out there this morning, those are looking good. If anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you, illustration number three, to go one mile, go with him two miles. Illustration number four, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So four illustrations to outline the reality of the personal affection and love granted rather than resistance to the one who does evil to us. Illustration number one in verse 39, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him. The other also. The first illustration is one dealing with personal insult and disrespect to you as an individual. There is nothing in the Jewish culture that showed more contempt and disrespect than a backhanded slap across the face. This hasn't lost a lot of its effect. I don't know when the last time you had another adult backhand you across the face, but it definitely generated a response on your part if it's ever happened i think the last backhanded slap i got was in the car and i was rather young and it came from the arm that could reach anywhere in the back seat of the car there was no corner where you could hide in the back seat of the car and my mouth sinned against my family members and the hand that could touch anywhere found me in the back seat It was an an instrument of discipline in my life. That's not the case here. This slapping is a slap of disrespect, of dishonor, of contempt, of insult against you. This is the slap that we see the high priest giving to Jesus as he's standing there before Caiaphas. He gets slapped by one of the men because he doesn't answer in a way that they think is respectful. The only thing that would heighten this would be spitting on someone's face. We are talking about the highest level of personal insult in their culture. Jesus picks that as his illustration to to further emphasize the response of a kingdom citizen when they're insulted and disrespected. Kingdom love is prepared to give the other cheek rather than to slap back. This is one of those passages that everybody knows. And yet, we don't ever want to really think seriously about what it means to our lives. But folks, the demand is obvious. When it comes to your personal dignity, when it comes to your personal honor, when it comes to your personal standing with others, that always comes secondary to the kingdom reality that has transformed your heart. Kingdom dignity is found in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It is not found in your personal dignity with another. Therefore, the one who is consumed with the fact that their relationship with Christ is the highest level, it is the highest priority, their kingdom relationship to Christ, there is nothing that equals it. When they are slapped, when they are disrespected, they not only do not retaliate and produce vengeance against the person who has disrespected and dishonored them, but they they are willing to give up the other cheek as well. They're willing to be even more disrespected if it will provide an opportunity to reflect the character of their king. This is so counterintuitive, is it not? There's no way you can just look at your bracelet and say, what would Jesus do? And then turn the other cheek. Nobody does that. That's not natural. That's only supernatural. That's only transformation. This is the kingdom citizen. This is a miracle if we see this lived out in our lives. I would have to tell you, just to be honest with you, that there are A group of my brothers here in the room who have interacted with this passage this week in a very personal way. Maybe not slaps, but elbows to the teeth would constitute giving the other tooth to be elbowed in the teeth. And we have battled with this very reality. We've battled with the fact that we have been insulted at a personal level, and the natural response is not to just fall back and let that happen. This is a struggle for us. Understand, in balance, that this does not deal with our response to those who are slapping, disrespecting, and dishonoring someone else, where we can step in and provide assistance in ceasing that activity. But again, before we think, sweet, there's vindication, let's understand that still the heart of the kingdom citizen is never to be vengeful and to bring retribution in a personal aspect. It's never there. I mean, that's just the bottom line, folks. There's no way to get around it. I wish there was something in the Greek language that made this easier, but it's not there. This is your Lord. This is your King. This is the one you have said you have denied yourself, you've taken up your cross, and you're following after Him. This is His life. This is His character. And our highest goal would be to reflect that character By living under his demands. Illustration number two in verse 40. Not only is personal respect and honor at stake, but in verse 40, Jesus picks a totally different illustration and he deals with a lawsuit for your clothes. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now this, culturally we're flying on two different levels, okay? This is never going to intersect with our culture because none of us have ever been sued for our clothes. We don't even understand what that means. And I can tell you that Jesus is not using a silly illustration. This is real. In the Jewish system, you could sue someone all the way down to their undergarment clothes. It's not underwear, but undergarment clothes. The clothes that they wore closest to their body. But you could not... Though you clean them out, and they owed you so much that you could take everything, even the clothes on their back, you could not take their cloak because their cloak was their their means of survival. It kept them from the weather. It was the outer coat. It was the one that went on the outside, and you couldn't take it. By law, they they were given the right to have their cloak. There were certain things you couldn't touch, and this was one of them. Jesus says, okay, here's a scenario. Let's think about this as kingdom citizens. You're sued, and the assumption here is that you're rightfully sued. So you're sued. You owe someone, they sue you, and you are found to be guilty. Your response should not be one of vengeful anger, vindication of your own character, but instead the kingdom citizen responds with this radical response. He doesn't just say, I'm willing to give up my clothes, He's willing to give up even his inalienable rights as a Jewish citizen for the sake of his kingdom. I'll give you my cloak. I'll give you what you're not even allowed to take to show to you how much and how important the kingdom is to me. Kingdom wealth is found in Christ. Kingdom possessions are in Christ. Not in your personal wealth, not in your personal possessions. And boy... This is sticky, is it not? Don't we have white knuckles when it comes to our possessions? White knuckles from squeezing so hard to keep them? Don't we find some settled peace and confidence in our possessions? And the thought of us being brought to a situation where we had to give up everything we had. We had to give away our homes. We had to give away our cars. We had to give away our SUVs. We had to give it all away. To think that we would be in a situation where we would be so humbled and so consumed with our kingdom character and our kingdom reality in Christ, that in response to the one who has won this lawsuit, we would say, we're willing to give it all. We would give you even what you can't take from us to make this right. I don't want to get revenge. I don't live in bitterness because I've lost everything. I willingly give it up because my life is not my own. These possessions are not my own, and I'm a pilgrim who's passing through. When's the last time a pilgrim, a vagabond, was all wrapped up in their possessions? When they knew that they were just going to pack up that tent and start moving to the next place. we are just pilgrims. All of our possessions are stored somewhere else. They're stored in eternity in heaven. We live in the private storage era where we go store our junk. We pay to store our junk. Like, isn't this amazing? Well, I'm never going to use it. I don't care about it enough even to see it. So I'll pay a monthly fee and let someone else put it in a garage that's not mine so that if I ever did want to see it or ever did want to look at it, at least it would be there for me to look at and to see Well, the pilgrims that we are as kingdom citizens, our possessions are not even here on earth. Our possessions are eternal. Our rewards are eternal. Our focus is on eternal life. Our focus is in heaven. We have set our mind on things above, Colossians 3 tells us. Therefore, we are willing to give up everything here. John MacArthur says, Jesus does not undercut civil justice, which belongs in the courtroom. He undercuts personal selfishness which belongs nowhere and especially not in the hearts of his kingdom people. These illustrations go from bad to worse. Physical insult, now we're dealing with our possessions, being sued for our clothes and giving the very coat that is our survival to make this thing right. Illustration number three we find in verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Yet again, we have no concept of understanding here. Some of you may have read or studied your Bibles enough to know what went on in the Roman culture, but the Roman soldier had the prerogative to ask any citizen, any citizen could be asked to carry his equipment. This was supposed to be a perk, a way to help the soldiers who were constantly providing the uh, defense of the citizens. And so the citizens would willingly give up their time and help this soldier the law that was put to restrict it was they could only do that for up to one mile. So you could only carry a soldier's, or you only have to carry a soldier's pack and his weapons for up to a mile. Now, you can understand, because you know enough about your New Testament, that this was not a popular law with the Jews. Didn't really dig this one. Okay? Didn't really like it when a Roman soldier came up to them, who was their conquering army and said, here, and took off their pack, took off their sword by which they killed and devoured their people, and said, you're going to carry this for me. This is the law. No doubt this law was abused. So this was forced labor without any retribution. What does Jesus say? When our time, when our freedom is taken away in a personal aspect, what does the response of the kingdom look like? What would Jesus have us do? What would our transformed character look like? Well, in verse 41 it says, we don't just go with them one mile, we go with them two miles. It's not just that we think, how can I get back at that soldier ASAP and make sure he understands that I got no respect for him and I don't care what the law says, I'm only doing this because I'm going to get punished if I don't do it. Instead of that, the kingdom citizen doesn't even just grin, grit his teeth and get it done doesn't even carry out his duty. The kingdom citizen so shows his transformed character, so shows his poverty of spirit, his mourning over his sin, his meekness, all the expressions of the character of Christ, that the kingdom citizen not only doesn't respond wrongly, he responds rightly. And he says, hey, if you want me to go a mile, i got some spare time. Let me take it too. And just so you know, in case we end up with forced labor somehow, um, two miles isn't like the cutoff then where you get to then be angry and all the other things. Okay, It's not really going the extra mile, as our phrase uses from this passage. When you're going the extra mile, it is a heart condition that says, not only am I not going to respond in vengeance, I'm going to respond with extra love. I mean, folks, this is really out there. When was the last time you had somebody tell you what to do and you liked it? You're at the DMV, cursed place that it is. If you get your paycheck from the DMV, I'm sorry, but we don't like being at the DMV. You've waited. You've waited for B38 to come up for how long? Okay, you've been there for an hour waiting for B38 to show up. You get up there, and actually, the number shows up, but it's wrongly showed up because the person who was there before is actually just going to their glove compartment. They've got something else to do, and the person tells you, I'm sorry that that showed up, but you're going to have to go back over there and get another number. You're going to need to go to the back of the line and get another number. When was the last time that that went over well? Oh, that line? Well, let me get in the second line. I want to get further back. I mean, that sounds silly to us. You want me to dig this ditch? Let me dig you two ditches. All right? This doesn't make sense. This doesn't register. This is not natural, folks. This is supernatural. This is something that flows from a transformed heart and a new character. This is Christ on display. And when you do this, you will be abused. And when you live this way, you will be taken advantage of. And when you live this way, you'll be persecuted. And when you live this way, you'll bring honor and glory to God. Because you'll show Christ. This is outside of our ability to understand. And yet this is the demand that's placed on us, and this is the joy of our lives to live out Christ's character to the world around us. The final illustration is found in verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Not only is our kingdom dignity in Christ, not in our personal dignity, Our kingdom wealth is in Christ, not in our personal possessions. Our kingdom freedom is in Christ, not in our personal freedoms here. But our kingdom possessions are wrapped up in Christ, and they are a stewardship, not our personal wealth and finances. Man, we are really in the toe-stomping section of our Bibles when we start talking about our money. And I don't know how biblically we think about our money on a consistent basis. But the message here that Jesus gives us as the fourth illustration, the fourth extreme illustration, if you will, to help us understand how deadly serious he is about not resisting the evil one, is that we are to open up our hands with our finances to shower people and to show people the character of Christ who gave everything. For those who could in no way reciprocate what he had given. We see this elsewhere in scripture when it talks about forgiveness. We forgive because we have been forgiven at an infinite level. So Christ forgave us without any potential that we could ever give back for what he had given us. His character is such that he sacrificed and he gave everything. He gave up his prerogative as the second person of the Trinity. He set aside His divine attributes and the use of His divine attributes. He did not set aside His attributes, but the use of His divine attributes for the sake of dying on a cross for people who could never repay Him. Now He asks us to do the same with our own personal finances. Kingdom love is quick to open the hands, to open the wallet, to open the billfold without retribution to those who are in need. Bringing other scriptures to bear on this passage, one of the implied understandings here is that there is a need. There is an implied need on the part of the one who is begging and borrowing. And it is our responsibility as those who reflect the very character of the one who has saved us to give to those needs without any thought of I hope I get this back, or I know you're out to scam me. But rather, I can meet a need, therefore I will meet a need, because of my Christ. Sometimes, it's, we should note, sometimes giving what is not needed is a disservice to the one receiving from us. Let me just, let's just be real practical. You've all had beggars come to you at some point or another in your life and ask for money from you. And while they're asking it, you can see the scars and the bruises all over their arms and their legs because they've shot up so many times that they're marked from head to toe. Or, as they're asking you, the stench of alcohol is so strong on their breath that you, you really think that they just took a swig and then asked you if they could have 20 bucks. And you're left with this dilemma of saying, I need to, as a character of Christ, I want, I want to give out without any thought of, of getting something back. I want to give out, even when I, I don't think this person has my best interest in mind. I want to give. And yet I know that giving the 20 bucks or giving my 10 bucks or giving my $5 or whatever it is, giving whatever I have, is only going to lead to further problems. This is only going to further what is already here. Understand that when we talk about using our resources with open hands for those who come and beg from us or would borrow from us and want to say, I'll repay you, that we do so with an eye to the implied need of their lives. So how can you reach the need of someone who comes and begs from you? You have the resources. Let's Let's not be silly. We have the resources. It won't work to say, I don't carry any cash. That's my favorite line. I don't, so I'm not going to give my credit card. So I guess I'm off the hook. We can meet a need because we know what certain needs every individual has. Have we ever thought that we would actually take that person, walk with them, offer to buy them a meal, sit down and eat our meal with that person for the opportunity to reflect on why it is that we are so open-handed when it comes to their needs without any thought? of whether they have the best interest of our resources in mind. Jesus says this is, this is the character of those who are in the kingdom. They don't live in revenge. They don't live in retaliation. They're not concerned with their own dignity. They're not concerned with their own freedom, their own possessions, their own finances. They are concerned first and foremost with the king and reflecting the desires of the king. There is no ambassador in the old days of kings and queens. There was no ambassador who came and said, Hey, I wanted to tell you guys something. I've had something on my mind. And after I get done with what I've got to say, I'll tell you what the king sent me here to say. If they did, it was a rather short stay at ambassador, as spokesman for the king. It only existed to communicate directly from the king what the king wanted to be said to the individual's. Our lives, as those who have been rescued by the king, have been brought into the kingdom, the glorious kingdom of heaven, that will be rewarded beyond compare. Those of us who have been brought to the end of ourselves and have turned to Christ, we exist solely for his kingdom. We have given up everything else. It's not about us, it's about him. And this actually takes on real life scenarios in Matthew 5:39 to 42 So, so much for lip service, so much for saying I'm a follower of Christ without any scrutiny on my life, because to claim this, to claim Him, is to then reflect Him in the daily decisions of our existence. Romans 12, Paul uses this same language in Romans 12, verse 17 to 21, You don't have to turn there, I can read it to you. Romans chapter 12, he's talking about the application of the gospel to life. He says in verse 17, Repay no evil, no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Burning coals is the sign of shame upon the head. This is throughout your scriptures. This character that we see in Christ's teaching Outlined for us as the demand of his kingdom is everywhere. We can't escape. Kingdom citizens have no personal rights. They've given those up. They've sacrificed them to follow Christ. See, this is why it's so hard for us to get what the disciples did when they just walked away from their lives. We don't really get that, do we? We don't understand that. It's really hard for us to understand that Jesus actually walked up to a guy who was on the clock at his workplace and said, "Follow me," and the guy just clocked out and never came back. He Just gave it up. We don't get that, because in American Christianity, in our current evangelical Christianity, we have an easy Christianity, and yet this character is anything but easy. It's impossible apart from the transformation of the heart. The Sermon on the Mount, we've said it over and over again, it's concerned with your heart first, and then the expressions of your heart second. Don't get it flipped around. George Mueller, great missionary, said this, and we'll end with this quote, There was a day when I died, utterly died to George Mueller and his opinions, his preferences, his tastes, and his will. I died to the world, to its approval and its censure. I died to the approval or the blame of even my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. That's a testimony of one who understood that to be a kingdom citizen was to be spiritually bankrupt and to live life then in response through faith, only for the glory of Jesus Christ. Only for the Lamb who is worthy. This is the testimony of those who have been transformed by grace. And by God's grace, continuing in our growth, in our development, as we fall in faith on Him, this will be the testimony of your life and of my life. Folks, the last thing we need from this message is to go out and try to do these things. Yes, we strive for obedience, but we must do so because we believe the gospel to be true, done by faith in total dependence on God who is at work in and through us. Otherwise, we're back to collecting filthy rags for ourselves. Works that are done apart from faith in the finished work of Christ. We finished last week with this comment, radical living is a way of life for the kingdom. A walk of faith in Christ is the only basis for true obedience. I would ask you this morning, if you are here and you profess faith in Christ, have you counted the costs? Do you know what it is to follow Christ? Have you considered the cost? Jesus told a parable in His ministry that we'll get to sometime in 2018. He told a parable in His ministry about a builder who didn't consider the cost of what it would take to build the building, and so he got halfway in and he couldn't finish. Of a soldier, a commanding officer, who decided to go to war without considering what was needed and what troops were needed and where they needed to be, and he lost. Because he hadn't counted the cost before he made the decision to move forward. And I ask you whether you profess faith in Christ, whether you have been a long-standing part of the Church of Christ, whether you've been with us from the beginning, whether you love expository preaching and teaching, whether you love to sit here and study and do all these things that we do, no matter what the case, have you counted the cost, have you died to yourself, and are you willing to follow Christ exclusively by faith? If not, if you have never done that, then you are in danger of saying, Lord, I did this in your name, I did that in your name. And Christ will respond, depart from me, I never, ever knew you. That's our worst nightmare. And it's my prayer that that would be no testimony of anyone in here. But that because we have come under the sound of the truth, because we have interacted with God's perfectly inspired Word, that His Spirit would so grip our hearts and so turn us in humility to Him that we would pursue Him in faith and be saved. Today's the day of salvation. You are guaranteed of no other day of salvation respond today in faith christian the standard is so high that it is impossible and yet you have the potential and it is possible because of christ let's live in such a way that we reflect the character of the one that we worship so that he would receive the glory and the honor and not we ourselves